0: It's July 14th, 2021. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, uh, we'll have Allison Kittle, <clears throat> and she's here to tell us about a student hackathon called the Hopathon. And uh, then we'll be joined by Karen Meach, interim director over at the Institute for Astronomy. And she's here to tell us about uh, Oumuamua, a mysterious visitor from outside our solar system. Of course, right now I want to welcome Allison, and she's the project manager of the Hopathon, and she's here to tell us about this uh, student hackathon with a mission to make positive impact on children. Welcome to the show, Allison.
1: Well, thank you for having Hopathon Hawaii on Bite Marks Cafe, Bert.
0: So, tell us, uh, Allison, this is your idea, and. How did uh, how did Hopathon? I mean, of course, we've been talking for ages about hackathons and code challenges, but what exactly is a Hopathon, and how did you come up with this idea?
1: Well, the Hopathon Hawaii is a competition for teenage students that are attending middle and high school here in Hawaii. It could be public, private, charter, homeschool groups. They are we're tasking them with creating video games for younger children. And they have a theme of 11 positive values that are shared around the world, such as faith, hope, love, and respect. Our goal is to have games that are playable online for free. And we are actually giving out cash prizes to them. The first place game, the game that scores the highest, is going to receive $1,500. Second place is $1,000. Third place will be $500. Fourth place will be $250. And we have a special category called Cakey's Choice which our child judges, it's going to be the most popular one that hasn't placed in the top four. they will receive two hundred and fifty dollars.
0: So who are your primary kind of sponsors? I mean who what what organizations really got behind your idea and and kind of you were able to raise the money for?
1: the The money is actually being ceded by our church in the Hawaii Kai area, the Church of the Holy Nativity, the vestry. put put up the money. We have an outreach program that we wanted to reach out during this time. We're just coming out of COVID. People have been cooped up. We also have seen a timeframe where people have been very divisive in the public media and the public forum. And we want something that gives our children a good positive experience, but also we wanna give back to the community. We wanna get people thinking again. We want them to interact and a hackathon is a great way to do that.
0: So Allison, you know most of the times hackathons are sponsored by <coughs> you know various uh, tech organizations, and we like you know we get all the developers and the tech community to get get involved. Uh, do you have a uh, tech connection? I mean, you know I, I I usually think that maybe the churches will do fun drives or food drives or you know various kinds of activities like that. But uh, what what what's your connection with the tech sector and, and why? Uh, a hackathon.
1: Sure, Bert. I actually have experience in computer programming for over 25 years, but even more importantly, here in Hawaii, I got together with our the uh, Samantha Kimsey of Computational Thinkers, uh-huh. and she. We've been kind of knocking around what to do with the, the uh, this hackathon Hawaii. She is volunteering. She and her husband are volunteering their services to help mentor our contestants as they develop their video games and we're looking we're, we're asking out to the broader community we we would love to have a lot more mentors here from the islands we've had interest from people from the mainland and actually from other countries but that's really not what we're about we want Hawaii people here in Hawaii we want our locals we would like to see it grow we would like to see it go on and um, so we're out reaching out we need people that can help if they know they have experience in video game development. We're looking for people who can act as judges or what we call referees that are experienced in playing games and feel comfortable being judges, looking at how the game is implemented and scoring those games. And, of course, we're looking for children and parents who would like to score games for usability and volunteers in the community to help us um, with. because our, our hackathon hackathon is always a time when everybody gets together, and so we're going to have a weekend where our contestants get together, and that's where the judging is done is on person. So we need a lot of volunteers to help out with that, and of course we're looking for local sponsors because we want students from other islands to be able to come, and if they can't afford to come, then flying over to Honolulu to be able to participate, if we could have some seed money to help them out would be a great thing.
0: So that's uh, that's really great, and you know, typically the hackathons that I've been involved in usually span maybe a weekend, or you know, maybe it'll be over a four week span. But uh, maybe you can describe the timeline for your Hopathon.
1: Sure, we're we're going to have a one month registration window, and because children are minors, we're going to have to have permission from their their parents or custodial parents or um, their the other people who would be in charge of them. And then we also need to have a sponsoring teacher so we can verify that they are truly attending that school here in Hawaii, that Mm -hmm. they say they are. So uh, we're working through that area. They will have a four-month window to develop their video games. And we do have tutorials on our website. And with the the help of Samantha Kinsey, she's going to be monitoring Discord service, she and her husband. And she's also going to be, every other week, giving out classes for people to help them through. As, because so we want people that have that experience, but you don't have to have that experience either. We want people from all walks. If you're brand new to it, never done a video game before, we want you as well.
0: Oh, that's great. So when is the actual uh, registration going to start?
1: We're going we, We're going to start it this month, and we tried to start it. But we realized that with COVID going on now, and it's not going away like we had thought it would last, last fall. Mm-hmm. That is it's probably better to go ahead and delay it until next year. And we don't have the exact dates yet, but we are going to postpone it into 2022. And we know that things are safe, that COVID has kind of it, – it's way back in the past.
0: Okay, so you're actually uh, – I thought maybe you were delaying it for a couple of weeks, but you're actually pushing it into 2022.
1: We are. We, we think that's what we're going to do. I, it, I mean, it may be earlier. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. But during this time – we're going to be really trying to get our name out there, trying to get this competition out there, attract all the people that we need to answer questions.
0: So okay. Well, you know, I'll, Allison, I'll put up the uh, link to the hope and people can at least learn about it and, uh, you know, uh, g- get, uh, get prepped up for the uh, registration. So, Allison, mahalo for joining us.
1: Well, thank you so much,
0: for And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we we return, we'll be joined by Karen Meach from the Institute for Astronomy, and we'll talk about Oumuamua. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm happy to welcome Carrie Meech. Karen Meach. Karen Meach, uh, she's the interim director over at the Institute for Astronomy, and she's here to talk about Oumuamua, a mysterious visitor from outside our solar system. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe, Karen. Thank you very much, Bert. And of course, I love the I love the title. It's so intriguing, and and I know that um, you know this was probably uh, several years ago, back in 2017, that. Oumuamua was first discovered by uh, Pan Stars right here on what it was Haleakala, right? Right, right. So, can you give us a little bit of uh, you know history on how it was actually discovered? Were people just monitoring or looking at uh, data from Pan Stars and and seeing streaks that maybe shouldn't have been there?
2: Well, Pan Stars is actually funded by NASA to search the sky every night for. Uh, rapidly moving objects that could closely approach the Earth and be considered hazardous. So each morning they they look at all the data, and they always find moving objects, and this was one of the moving objects. But once you start getting more than one night of data, you can start to figure out the path it's taking through the solar system. So it didn't take uh, more than a couple nights to realize that this one was a little bit different, and its orbit looked like it came from Outside the solar system
0: and you know when when um, looking at this and and multiple telescopes were actually monitoring it uh, when was it that it was actually considered a a newly discovered object and and really how much time was there in studying it because these things travel pretty fast well it was
2: it was actually discovered on October 19th And by the 22nd, we realized it was coming from outside the solar system, which means it's the first sort of object like this we had ever seen. And so we got very excited and started to request um, access to the big telescopes. Normally you spend months and write a proposal, but this had to be done urgently. So by the next day, we already had proposals in and we had gotten yeses, because it was the first of its type. And so within a couple days, we were actually using telescopes both in Chile and on Mauna Kea. And we only had about a week to study it in detail because it was getting faint really fast.
0: Well, so, Karen, you know, you you bring up an interesting, uh, I guess, set of priorities. And I'm curious, when you put out the word to see if you can get time on, on, on these major telescopes, how did you convince them that it was a priority that, you know could perhaps bump another project that's being you know being currently conducted on that telescope. Well some of the telescopes
2: you don't have to bump other projects because they're done in what's called a a queue scheduled mode where everybody's observations are ready to go and the telescope operator picks which one is best for those conditions. So there you're not bumping anybody. Mm-hmm. But on other telescopes you would and in those cases we contacted the person whose night it was, and they were so excited to help that they said, "Yes, count me in and put me on the paper." And that's that's everyone was very collaborative.
0: And so, when when you get the telescopes to now all aim their gaze at uh, Oumuamua, what kind of data is actually being collected? What are what what sorts of of uh, information are you trying to gather from the variety of different telescopes that are now? you know, tracking or more.
2: Well, this is the first time we've ever seen such a thing, so you really want to understand what it is, and so we're trying to figure out how big it is, uh, what does it look like on the surface, what's it made of, and of course, the big question, where did it come from? So, you know, you get that from the reflected light that comes off of the surface, but you only have a week to do all of this science, so most of the team was uh, staying up all day, uh, getting data at night, reducing, analyzing the data during the day, and at the same time we were writing the paper.
0: <laughs> so, all the all the um, conclusions I guess that were drawn uh, has been due to the the data collection over that period of of a uh, one week. And and as I you know look through some of the. Uh, websites that uh, have posted information, NASA being one of them, and, and IFA being another. Uh, has it been conclusively decided whether it's an asteroid or a comet?
2: Well, it depends who you ask. (laughs) I would tell you it's
0: conclusively
2: a comet. But what was strange about this, we looked really hard to see the traditional tail that you see on a comet, which is made of gas and dust, and we saw nothing. There was no dust to really, really good limits. Gas, you can't really tell because we didn't have sensitive enough experiments. There was a little bit of data taken from space telescopes in November, December, and January, and one of those said they put a limit on the gas. Um, so that would suggest it's an asteroid, but it started to speed up on its way out of the solar system. And it, that is something that comets usually do because they outgas as they approach the sun but unevenly and that acts like a little rocket thruster which gives them a push so we said okay it's acting like a comet and so that's where the controversy lies how can it be a comet if we didn't see the gas and dust
0: well another thing that that's interesting is that the um the brightness factor uh, fluctuated something like i don't know 10 times over a period of you know whatever its uh, rotation was and and given the fact that it is rotating and and the brightness was uh, varied by that, that amount, I mean, there were some conclusions that it was a very long, elongated object. And typically you don't think of comets as being these long, elongated <laughs> objects that are spinning around. Well, actually,
2: comets and asteroids all spin. Everything spins. Um, so the spinning was nothing unusual, mm-hmm. and it's it spun about three times a day so that was c- typical of comets what was unusual was the extreme change in brightness which led to conclusions that it must be really long and narrow or kind of a flattened shape and we can't tell which there wasn't enough data
0: so so the uh i guess speculation that it's long is give just a conclusion that you drew because of the um the big differences between brightness Uh, Right. Is there any kind of uh, thoughts around how it was actually formed?
2: Well, in terms of what we think it is, we think it's a leftover of the planet-building process in another solar system. And you have all this debris that's left behind that didn't quite make it into a planet. And any time that debris, you know, it's typically hundreds of meters, you know, football field size up to miles in diameter... That stuff, if it approaches a giant planet like Jupiter or Saturn in another system, can get kicked out. And so then it's traveling through space, and if it happens to pass through our solar system, we get a chance briefly to study something from another star system. Now, the real puzzle is why did it have this really elongated shape? And that's one thing that has generated an enormous number of very interesting science papers.
0: Okay, so that's a that's a nice teaser. Like, what are some of the various, you know, things scientists are thinking about in terms of how Oumuamua was formed? I mean, and why is it so long?
2: Well, some say, well, maybe it sort of had a more normal shape, which... You know, can be uh, potato-shaped. You know, comets are often Mm potato-shaped, so they're mm -hmm. not quite so long. But then as it travels through space, maybe dust in space could have eroded it, you know, sandblasted it in one direction. Others speculated maybe it passed too close to a star and it effectively turned into a fluid and then solidified. Others say maybe it was a frozen hydrogen iceberg, and as it entered our solar system, the ices um, evaporated from the surface and gave it this strange shape. All sorts of interesting oh, ideas.
0: Wow. Now, you know, it, it came from outside the solar system. So what's the, what's the thought about where it actually came from and how far away? And, and evidently, this has been traveling through space for, what, millions of years, right? But probably,
2: and you know that's the, the million-dollar question that we would love to know, and that's why we got the Hubble Space Telescope time to try and follow the orbit as precisely as possible so we could go backwards and trace its path, and that's how we discovered that it was accelerating. But even though we know its path very well, everything in space is moving, so all the stars in our galaxy are moving instead of going backwards backwards in time, you also have to trace back the path of the stars backwards in time. And that's where the problem is. We don't have accurate enough data to go very far back in time. So we tried the experiment. We found about four star systems that looked possible. But it moved past them too quickly, so they they weren't good candidates. So the answer is, we don't know, and we will never know. And I know that's not very satisfying.
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm very interested in in all of what you've just shared, and of course, you know, when Oumuamua was uh, first discovered, you know, a couple, of, well, three years, three four years ago, uh, there was a lot of news coverage and media coverage and. And then all of a sudden it it seemed to, you know, fade away and then it popped back up onto the major consciousness of people uh, through some means. And I did want to ask you, why did it, you know, why did it come back into the public consciousness? But we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Karen Meech from the Institute for Astronomy. And we're talking about... A visitor, Oumuamua, coming from outside our solar system. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on HPR1. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Karen Meach, Interim Director over at the Institute for Astronomy. And she's here to talk about Oumuamua, a mysterious visitor from outside our solar system. And, of course, right before our break, there was a, a, a talk that you did, Karen, uh, which was maybe a couple couple weeks ago. And it was called, you know, Oumuamua, the, a mysterious visitor from outside our solar system. And it, it, it triggered a notification on, on my, uh, you know, <clears throat> email. And I thought, oh, interesting I wonder why it popped back up on my you know my radar and so how is how is o back on everybody's uh attention list now that uh it's been i don't know four years
2: well it's actually popped up several times, but this is largely due to speculation that it may not be a natural product of solar system formation, but instead alien technology sent to Earth. Um, And so most recently there was the um, unclassified intelligence report released on June 25th about aerial phenomena, UFOs. And so that that 's the latest trigger, uh, bringing into the idea the speculation that this could be alien technology, and in particular, one Harvard scientist is pushing this idea very hard
0: so uh, it, for your talk that you did uh, you know and of course it 's very intriguing right mysterious visitor from outside our solar system. How did you weave the information that you learned through the you know the uh, uh, telescope data and the you know the analysis that the uh, astronomers did? and and how did you ultimately kind of like weave into the speculation that it may or may not be you know a an alien alien technology
2: well i think all the most of the astronomers say that it's absolutely not alien technology it it's consistent with what we see for comets um a little bit unusual but everything aligns with it being a natural phenomenon and those who claim that it's alien technology say that it's too reflective to be a natural phenomenon, and that's just wrong. Um, we did not measure its reflectivity, but there were some models that suggested it reflected maybe 10% of the light, which is typical of asteroids, so that's not real reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, Some people argue that its mysterious acceleration was due to the fact it was one of these ultra-thin light sails that have been proposed for visiting other solar systems. But that doesn't work because we clearly saw that it's rotating, and it's not rotating evenly, it's tumbling like a wobbling top. Mm -hmm. And so anyone who sails know that if you want to go in one direction, you've got to have your sails stable. They don't flutter around in different directions, so that doesn't work. And, you know, all of the explanations worked better with the natural uh, explanation. And so you don't go to the very extreme, albeit very exotic and interesting, um, suggestion unless you have some proof, and this just fits with a natural object.
0: So I'm curious, as a, as a scientist, and and seeing that other scientists may be speculating on you know the 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 far exotic uh, you know answers or <coughs> uh, speculation on what Oumuamua is, how does how does that ultimately get resolved? Given the fact that Oumuamua is pretty far away from any data collecting that we can currently do, so do these theories and speculations sort of just survive or live? uh a a natural uh cycle or and and do they ultimately get uh i guess the 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 logic behind the data that is currently supporting the 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 natural cause and creation of Oumuamua. does that does that supersede or uh win out over the you know over the discussion about what exactly it is
2: well i certainly hope so there's um I would say hundreds of astronomers have now worked on the science of Oumuamua, and they all agree that it's natural. Um, We can't get a complete model of it because we simply didn't have enough data. It's really one astronomer who's taken this alternate tact. And while I say it's great to speculate, I think a better approach would have been, what would it take to convince us that this is not a natural product of, of planet formation. Mm-hmm. And they did do an experiment to test that. and That was a great experiment. They turned some radio telescopes on it and looked for radio signals. And I, at, at the time, some reporters said, well, isn't that silly to do that? It's just a comet. And I said, no, that's a wonderful experiment. It's cheap. It's easy. Why wouldn't you do the experiment? And they didn't detect anything. But you have to do the measurements.
0: I see. I see. Now, with with uh an object like oumuamua coming from outside our solar system is this a a common occurrence or is it a relatively rare occurrence
2: i suspect it's common and that's an excellent question why now and it's because in order this was moving fast and it's faint so in order to find something like that you have to be looking at the whole sky all the time with a big telescope. And it's only been in the last decade or so that we've really had those sorts of surveys looking at the sky. The predictions are once the the big telescope, the big survey telescope in Chile comes online in a year or so, that we may be discovering one a year. But it might be these things are passing through all the time and we just don't see them because they're not bright enough to see for very long.
0: Right, and I, 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 you know, the technology has gotten to the point now where, if we are aiming our telescopes and collecting data on a, you know, twenty-four-seven basis, the likelihood is that within that data, there's probably a lot more of these objects, and and I guess it's kind of similar to the fact that, uh, you know, it's it's all the discoveries around exoplanets seem to be in this time frame as opposed to to prior to this, right? Because Uh, There's a lot Mm -hmm. more data that's being collected and uh, analysis of, you know, brightness and fluctuations around stars.
2: Oh, right, right. And just to be clear, Oumuamua isn't gone. It's just too faint to see. In Mm -hmm, fact, mm -hmm. people ask me, when will it leave the solar system? And my answer is, I don't know, because I don't know what you call the edge of the solar system. But if you call it this vast cloud of comets that surrounds us, called the Oort cloud, that goes a third of the way to the nearest star. So at the rate it's going now, it will take about 17,000 years to reach the edge of our solar system. So although it's going fast, the solar system's big.
0: <laughs> so in terms of uh, the research that's currently going on, uh, I suspect that we won't hear too much more about Oumuamua, or do you think there's some discoveries or some revelations that might still come out uh based on the data that's collected (laughs) during that one week.
2: I think the papers are going to still keep coming. Um, And certainly as we discover more of these, we're going to have a lot more papers. There's been a second one discovered, but it looks more like a normal comet.
0: Well, that's really interesting. So, Karen, I know there's a wealth of information on the IFA website, but uh, where would you direct people if they want to learn more about uh, Oumuamua?
2: I would go to the IFA website at www.ifa.hawaii.edu, and there's various press releases there about Oumuamua.
0: That's very good, and I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. And, of course, uh, Karen Meech is the Interim Director over at the Institute for Astronomy, and, of course, I love talking about uh, anything in astronomy, exoplanets, comets, and Oumuamua. So mahalo, Karen, for joining us today. Thank you very much. And of course, thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about cryptocurrency and the pilot that's taking place over at the Entrepreneur's Sandbox. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on ByteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at ByteMarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at ByteMarks. Our engineer is David Chung. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay awesome. You stay safe. And, of course, we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.